Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Chad Randall at Life Story Church. We are a grassroots church located in the heart of the Bellevue community in Nashville, Tennessee. Our services are streamed live on Facebook and YouTube every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesday, 7 p.m. Central Time. We would love for you to join us. Now here's Pastor Chad Randall. We're going to begin tonight with uh, chapter 5. So uh, with that, let's just get into it. Find it in your Bibles. Um, uh, If you don't remember where we left off in chapter 4, I encourage you guys to check out the YouTube page. Uh, or the podcast, depending on how you're listening to this right now. Uh, You should see the letters to the churches, uh, all about Revelation uh, chapter 4. In the last installment that we had of that series, we were talking about the throne room of God. Uh, Also, I didn't mention LifeStoryChurch.com. If you're new to to, uh, the stream and you're curious who we are, you'll find all you need to know there at LifeStoryChurch.com or on the Facebook page as well, Life Story Nashville. But I digress. The throne room of God, uh, no small subject to undertake. So we're excited to uh, jump right back in. We're in the throne room of God, in, in the throne room of God, the 24 elders, the crowns, they're, they're receiving crowns, they're casting crowns, all of that incredible stuff. And that's where we're going to pick up then moving into Revelation chapter 5, uh, verse 1. Let's just jump right into it. Uh, but before we do so, let's start with a word of prayer, shall we? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you tonight uh, for giving us the opportunity to be here, giving us the opportunity to meet, Lord, uh, via this online uh, uh, ability that we have, Father, since we can't be in person, Lord Jesus, but we're still able to get get together and say hello and share our thoughts, our feelings, Lord. We thank you for for the way that you love us, take care of us, Lord Jesus. And we thank you, Father, that we trust that you are in control, that you are still on the throne. And although in this life it might seem like like uh, things are chaotic and in our nation right now, there's so much uncertainty, Lord, that in the midst of all that, we still have no fear because we know that you hold our future in the palm of your hand, Lord Jesus. Not in the palm, it's not a president holding us in the palm of his hand, but it's you holding us in the palm of your hand, Lord Jesus. So we celebrate that tonight, Lord. And we ask that you would teach us from your word tonight. Reveal truth to us, Lord Jesus. Let us leave tonight encouraged encouraged by the knowledge of who you are and how big and how far and wide your love stretches. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Revelation chapter 5, verse 1. Let's begin, shall we? Let's read. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll, written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. It's important to remember, we're talking about scrolls here. You you have to remember the period of time that we were in, all right? In that period of time, they didn't have books like we have books. They didn't have, they weren't bound like this. The Bible didn't look like this, right? It was a scroll. As a matter of fact, interestingly enough, they would take uh, uh, sheets of papyrus, right? And a sheet was typically eight by 10, not much different than our modern day printer paper, right? Well, they would write on it and then they would, from left to right, they would, or right to left, they would add pieces to it. So they would seal them together and it would just keep going and keep going and keep going. As a matter of fact, what we're studying in Revelation tonight, Revelation was 15 feet long, 
the scroll of Revelation, 15 feet long by the time all was said and done and written. So here we have the scroll and written inside and on the back even, okay, sealed with seven seals. Now, many of us, especially for a mature believer, and we've been through uh, Revelation before, you know, we have, we have this idea of the seals and what happens when the seals are broken. Well, we're, we're trying to dig a little bit beneath the surface with our study through Revelation. So I actually want to take you to Jeremiah chapter 32 to add a little bit of context for you with this idea of, of a scroll and the seal. Why is it sealed? Who gets to open the seal? All of this stuff is important for us to understand. So Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 6 through 14 is a great place for us to look and gain some insight. So let's look there, shall we? Verse 6 reads, And Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Verse 7, Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, will come to you, saying, Buy my field, which is in Anathoth, for the right of redemption is yours to buy it. So it's his uncle, and he has a right, Jeremiah's got a right to buy this field, verse 8. Then Hanamel, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of the prison according to the word of the Lord, and said to me, Please buy my field that is in Anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin, for the right of inheritance is yours." and the redemption yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord, verse 9. So I bought the field from Hanamel, the son of my, the son of my uncle, who was Anathoth, and weighed out to him the money, 17 shekels of silver. Okay, let's push pause right here. Okay, come back to me for a second. Yes. Why? You have to understand the context here, okay? They're in captivity in Babylon, and they're talking about a field back in Israel, okay? So why bother selling a field is the question that we have to ask. Would he, Jeremiah would never see the field again, as a matter of fact, right? So here he is, the word of the Lord has come to his uncle, I'm going to sell you this field, and it's your right to, but what is the Lord trying to show us in this? you got to know, sometimes you read things in the Bible, and right off the, on the surface, it doesn't really make much sense. Why is he saying, buy this field, when he's not going to use that field, right? Well, for a couple points. First of all, uh, I think it's reassuring. If, if I'm in captivity, if I'm in prison, right, and... The Lord comes to me and says, hey, you need to buy this field back in your homeland. And as God's saying it to me, the word of the Lord, then I'm going to be encouraged, surely, that at some point our people are going to go home. And of course, Jeremiah knew that they were on a 70-year punishment for not honoring the Sabbath years. But So he had faith anyway, but certainly to those around, you know, the fact that deals were being done for land back home, it had to feel good, feel normal, be encouraging anyway. Um... But I think there's a greater reason, uh, and it, it's the whole reason I'm here for context tonight. But let's keep reading, okay? Verse 10, and I signed the deed. I signed the deed, and I sealed it. Okay, this is important. We're talking about seven seals in Revelation, right? Why does he, why does he seal it, okay? He took witnesses and weighed the money on scales. Verse 11, so I took the purchase deed, 
both that which was sealed and according to the law and according to custom, and that which was open. Verse 12. And I gave the purchase deed to Baruch, the son of Nira, son of Mahasiah, in the presence of Hanamel, my uncle's son. And in the presence of the witness who signed the purchase deed before all the Jews who sat in the court of the prison. Verse 13. Then I charged Baruch before them, saying this, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, both this purchase deed, which is what? Sealed, and this deed, which is open, and put them in an earthen vessel that they may last many days. So interesting, what they do is they take it, they seal it, they put it in these uh, earthen vessels is what they would call it. It makes me think of the Dead Sea Scrolls were in vessels when they found them in the caves, right? Uh, in, at Qumran. So where they would take it, they'd bury it in this earthen vessel, they'd bury it in the earth, they'd bury it in the earth, and when the time came to take possession, what do they do? They open the earthen vessel, they open the seal. Let me ask you this, this was the custom, who had the right to break the seal? Jeremiah, right? It's his land, and if there was any question to the land being his, there it's broken, you see the seal being broken, so it's official, witnesses signed, and there it is, okay? So with this in mind, I give you this example. I want you to, to have this example in the back of your mind as we read the next few verses in Revelation chapter 5, okay? This was their custom on how it was to be done. Let's read verse 2 then, Revelation chapter 5, verse 2. <clears throat> Excuse me. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? Verse 3. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was, avail was able to open the scroll or to even look at it. So let's just back this up real quick. We've got a scroll in the right hand of God that must be opened by a man. He said it. There's no one in heaven, no one on earth. It's interesting where they're looking as well, isn't it? They look under the earth even, interestingly. So, a scroll in the right hand of God, and it must be opened by a man. Why a man? Well, I mean, uh, could be a Chuck Missler you know, I, you guys know I love him. Uh, he he uh, hypothesized that perhaps this was a deed to the earth. Perhaps it's a deed to the earth, a deed that Adam had forfeited, but Jesus had purchased. And purchased, and it had been sealed, had to be a man to open it. But who could open it? Who could open it? You know, also to really understand this, you know, in church, we have to understand the book of Ruth. When we talk about prophetic uh, things throughout the Word of God, 
when we talk about the, profe- the prophesied Messiah that Jesus was, when we talk about Jesus being a redeemer of all the earth, right? We need to understand the book of Ruth in the Old Testament to truly understand the full beauty of everything that Jesus was and everything that Jesus did. So many times throughout the word of God, Ruth comes back around. A short little book. So if you haven't read it in a while, I encourage you guys to do so. I'm just going to give you a little overview here because I think that... This is at play here too, okay? Let me, let's take a look at this next graphic. Can we see this? Just a, a refreshing on the book of Ruth, all right? Here's the book of Ruth for you. Boaz was the Goel. He was the kinsman redeemer for Ruth, right? So he, it was the law of redemption. When, when Boaz took Ruth as his wife uh, and Naomi became his uh, mother-in-law, they were also uh, they were also related. Okay, there's blood there. Naomi's land was returned to her. Returned to her at the same time. You've got the law of the Leverite marriage. He's married to a Gentile bride. Okay, so prophecy being fulfilled all over the place here. Redemption is sealed by the kinsman redeemer. Interestingly, though, there were a few things. There were a few uh, uh, check. Uh, check, I guess, boxes that needed to be checked for someone to be a kinsman redeemer in that culture, okay? First thing is this. Can we see this graphic? First thing is this. To be a kinsman redeemer in their culture, first of all, I guess it makes sense that you'd have to be a kinsman, right? So there have to be relationship there. There have to be uh, a relation, like blood relation, a kinsman. In other words, Jesus had to be a kinsman of Adam, the seed line of the Messiah tra- travels all the way back to Adam, from Adam uh, uh, all the way through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the way the seed line, this pure blood seed line leading right up to Jesus. Why? Because it was imperative. Even going through uh, Boaz and Ruth, as a matter of fact, did Jesus come his heritage. So the kinsman redeemer, first of all, had to be a kinsman. Okay, Also, he had to be able to do it. The kinsman redeemer had to be able to do it. And we see that graphic again. Also had to be willing to do it, right? He didn't have to do it. He didn't have to do it. Boaz didn't have to take Ruth. All right? He didn't have to redeem her and uh, Naomi. And he had, and in doing so though, think about this, think about our relationship with Jesus and what he's done for us here, church. He had to assume all of the obligations of the uh, beneficiary, so whatever obligations that Ruth had, they now became Boaz's. It's no different than when we get to get together and get married today, right? You look at it like this, right? So um, when uh, Amber and I got married, or any two couples get married, if anybody has debt, they bring their debt into that marriage, right? So when you're buying a car or you're trying to buy a house or whatever it is, you sit down with a banker and they don't just go over you don't get get to just say, well, you know, I'm going to buy the house, not my wife. No, no, no. They've got to look at your wife's stuff too, or vice versa. The wife can't might have perfect credit, and the guys might not be so great. But it doesn't matter. It's you share credit at this point when it comes to loans and that sort of thing. So he had to be willing to assume all of the obligations of Ruth and Naomi. And so he was. And so Jesus had to be willing to assume all of our debt. Do you see the beautiful type and shadow 
uh, between Ruth and, and uh, uh, Boaz here and Jesus and us. So that said, keep this in mind, all right? We've got this process, this custom of breaking seals, how it was done, okay? Who was able to open the scroll, okay? Who was able to be a kinsman redeemer? We've got all of this stuff at play culturally, and we're only three verses in to Revelation chapter 5. So let's get back to it, okay? Uh, verse 4. Verse 4. Actually, go back to verse 3. Can we go back to verse 3, and then we'll read right into 4. Verse 3 read, And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So nobody, there, he's at, remember, he's in the throne room of God at this point. They're looking around and nobody's able to open it, rolling into verse 4 now. So I wept much. I wept much. And this, when you break this down into the Greek, it's so powerful because it means he convulsed. He was weeping to you. Have you ever been so brokenhearted and upset that you just were convulsing in your weeping? I know I have. Many of you watching have as well. You've lost a loved, loved one, uh, somebody very close to you. You're convulsing. He was, he was crying so much. He just can't imagine anything worse at this point. There's no one to open the seal, okay? Uh, so imagine, imagine... Uh, Indeed, if this is a deed to the earth that Adam had forfeited and Jesus had purchased, or the deed to the earth, nobody can break the deed, right? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 4. Because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. That's why he's weeping, convulsing so much. Verse 5. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. Ooh, amen. Holy Spirit. I feel the power, <laughs> power in that. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. Guys, come on now. You know, I don't know if you remember, uh, as we studied through the letters of the churches, Christ, in each letter he had given himself a title. Do you remember that? He'd give himself a title, okay? In these titles that he was giving himself in the letters to the churches, okay, they weren't Jewish in nature. They weren't Jewish titles. But from this point forward, and this is an interesting point, from this point forward, every title given to Jesus is a Jewish title moving forward in Revelation. So remember what I mentioned on Sunday as we study moving forward, especially chapters 6 through 19. Moving forward, this, <laughs> this end time scenario of Revelation, this tribulation period, a seven-year period at the end of the world, right? A seven-year period. It's hard for us as Americans who grew up in the wealthiest nation in the history of the world to understand that something might not be all about us, right? Well, this seven-year tribulation period is referred to as the time of Jacob's trouble, Jacob being Israel. So everything is Israel-centric, even, even so much so that moving forward, as I said, the titles that Jesus will have moving through Revelation are very, uh, very Jewish, very Jewish. As a matter of fact, when John the Baptist, think about this, when John the Baptist was on the scene, right, what did he say about Jesus? He said, behold, the Lamb of God. 
the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Right? Let's read verse 6. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures we talked about uh, in chapter 4, which represent, those living creatures represent uh, uh, the Gospels, uh, the, the authors of the Gospels, each one from a tribe of that beast, which if you, if you missed that one, please go back and watch, guys. Anyway, the living creatures are there in the throne room. In the midst of the elders, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb. So there's some names, right? The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, and the lamb, the Passover lamb, who will take away the sins of the world. Behold, the lamb of God. Mm. Interestingly enough, can I see this next graphic as well? I want to show you guys this. The lamb of God so incredibly speaks of Jesus' first coming. The lion speaks of his second coming. When Jesus came the first time, guys, we know that he came to be a sacrifice, the suffering Messiah, the lamb who would take away the sins of the world. Mm, just as John the Baptist said, every other time when it talks about him coming back as a lion, this is not talking about a rapture event where we meet him in the clouds. This is referring to when he sets his foot down on the Mount of Olives and splits the mountain in half. And just so happens that archaeo that uh, 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 seismologists have found a fault line right down the middle of the Mount of Olives, by the way. So when he does put his foot down one day, we're going to have an incredible earthquake. But this is the lion. The lion speaks of his second coming. Let's go back to that graphic. Lion, <clears throat> where does that come in? Where does that come in? Well, Jacob's final blessing on his sons, you can find that in Genesis chapter 49. He blesses uh, Judah, refers to him as the Lion of Judah. The Root of David, that title comes to us in Isaiah, Jeremiah, Romans chapter 15. Revelation 22, again, will be, it'll be mentioned in Matthew chapter 1. So we see these titles of him. He was the result of David's line, this Jesus, yet he was the one who brought David into existence. <laughs> Interesting, huh? I remember as a young child reading the New Testament and reading the prophecies of Jesus in the, or in the Old Testament, rather, and seeing him referred to as the lineage of David and being confused by that, well, he made David. How can he be the lineage of David, right? Well, he was the result of David's line, yet he was the one who brought David into existence. I love this. Look at this uh, in the graphic and take your note here because Matthew chapter 22, 41 through uh, 46, we're not going to go there right now, but I want you guys to look it up. Just look it up. It's beautiful. I, literally earlier today when I was putting our, our lesson together, I read this and I just out loud laughed and said, I love Jesus, man, I love Jesus. Don't you just love Jesus? He used this paradox to baffle the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 22. Can I see that graphic in, uh, that we were just looking at? Uh, Matthew chapter 22, the, the Pharisees were coming to him and they were questioning him and questioning him. And uh, he said, well, answer me this, you know, <laughs> yada, yada. Just go read it, guys. Trust me, okay? It's also to remember, though, as we study uh, moving forward here, in uh, Revelation, that God's covenant with David was for his line to rule over the entire earth. We find that in 2 Samuel chapter 7, and it's referenced as well in Psalm 2, 8. 
So all these titles, all of these titles given to Jesus, the Messiah, right out of the gate, we're barely even uh, into the, into, uh, well, I guess we're at verse six here, six out of 14 as we move forward, but he's giving all these titles, these Jewish titles. You know, somebody else gave uh, Jesus a title once, didn't they? Pilate. Do you remember the, do you remember the title that Pilate gave Jesus as he was crucified on the cross. As he, as he hung on the cross, Pilate put a sign on the cross above his head. Do you remember what that said? Let's read John chapter 19, verse 19 through 22. Now Pilate wrote a title, wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was this, it was Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. Verse 20. Then many of the Jews read this title, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. So written in Hebrew because that was where they were, and that was the, the, the language of the day. Greek was the language that was used predominantly for all the commerce in the entire uh, Mesopotamian region. So... The, and, and Mediterranean region. So that's the commerce language. And then Latin was the official language of the Roman Empire. Not many people know that. Uh, so much of our Bible is written in Greek that that gets lost. But these three languages, he writes on uh, the epitaph, okay? Verse 21, Therefore, when they saw this, the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but he said, I am the king of the Jews. Could you do that for me? Don't write king of the Jews. Just remember, just say that he claimed to be king of the Jews. But Pilate, and I love this because this is just, to me, this is just Pilate needling them. You know what I'm saying? He doesn't like these guys. He doesn't like these guys. Remember the meeting he had with Jesus. He asked Jesus who he was. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world, you know. What is truth? All that whole beautiful scene. Pilate just answered and he said, in verse 22, he said, I, what I have written, I have written. Like, I'm not changing it. So it's interesting. It's interesting because did Pilate believe that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was God? It's interesting the way that he did it because he wrote King of the Jews and he did it in all three different languages. <clears throat> Uh, can I see this next picture? Take a look at this. Here it is. Imagine being there and looking up there. This is what the, the Jews saw that day, or anybody who read Greek or anyone who read Latin. There it is, nailed above his head on the cross. Now, I don't know that uh, Pilate was a believer or believed Jesus or not, but I do find it very interesting that he wrote things out the way that he wrote them out because the Jewish people and wrote exactly what he wrote, by the way, because the Jewish people, if you know it, if you study Hebrew, if you study, if you dig into that a little bit, especially studying in the Old Testament, if you study the way that the Jews study, if you look into the Talmud and stuff like that uh, in, your, in your study, okay, which of course is not scripture, but, but historically, the Jews loved ciphers. Just this past Sunday, we found a cipher in the Word of God, didn't we? Incredible, beautiful, too cool. But uh, there, there, there's a cipher right here that Pilate has written, and either he's written it completely unknowingly, or it speaks to some degree of faith. I do find it interesting that when, when the soldiers came to report back to Pilate that the body was gone, 
uh, from the tomb when Jesus had risen, Pilate wasn't surprised. You don't get surprise out of that interaction with Pilate and the soldiers. In any case, though, whether he knew he was writing it or not, when he wrote, when he wrote uh, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, when he wrote that in Hebrew and hung it above Jesus' head, this is essentially what he wrote and essentially what the Jews would have seen, the Jews that love to take, take meaning. If the, the, for example, they'll take the first letter of every word and it'll make its own word, right? We've done word studies in the Hebrew throughout the Word of God before, and we've done that. Um, I don't have time to digress into that tonight, but just let me show you this one. Here's what Pilate wrote in Hebrew when he wrote that. Can I see the next picture? Oh, wow, huh? So take the first letter, keep in mind, the Jews read from right to left. We read left to right. It's interesting, from Jerusalem, every nation and language, rather, from uh, east of Jerusalem, they read from right to left. But every language that is from the west of Jerusalem, they read from left to right. It's almost as if every language is pointing right back to Jerusalem. So if we read it, if we're looking at the uh, Hebrew here, we read from right to left. And if you take the first letter of every word that he wrote, Jesus the Nazarene and King of the Jews, you get, you get, church, the spelling of uh, the name of the Father Yahweh and the Tetragrammatron, and they remove vowels because it's too, too holy to say. So you'll see this throughout the Word of God. So Pilate wrote, the, in other words, he wrote and hung above Jesus' head the fact that he is God. So the Jews would have looked at that and, and seen a sign that said, Yahweh, they're crucified on the cross. How incredible. How incredible. How beautiful, my goodness. Talk about a... Uh, Talk about a title, huh? Let's jump back, though. Let's jump back to verse 6. Can we read verse 6? Going forward, Evangeline. Thank you, dear. Let's read. <clears throat> and I looked, and behold, and in the midst of the throne, and the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, a lamb. Remember that? A lamb. There he is. And as though it had been slain, as well, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So this is interesting. So here's the lamb, as if he'd been slain. There he is. It's Jesus, lamb who's been slain to take away the sin of the world. We have it right here. Okay, but what is this stuff about seven horns and seven uh, eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the world? Well, uh, take a look at this. Take a look at this. Horns, horns throughout the Bible. On this next picture, we've got uh, an explanation for you. If we look at horns through the Bible in Deuteronomy, in 1 Kings, in Zechariah, in Psalms, Horns are symbolic of power. And in 1 Samuel, Psalms, uh, uh, Proverbs, all of it, uh, we see that horns are also a symbol of honor. So, seven horns, in other words. So, seven horns, honor, 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 power, and seven eyes, which, of course, we... 
it says right here, the set and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth in Zechariah chapter three and chapter four also back that up as well, talking about the seven spirits of God that were upon David, the Holy Spirit, in other words. My goodness. Verse seven, let's keep reading. Then he came and took the scroll. Who's he? Jesus. Come on, Jesus. Let's go, church. He came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. So God, get the visual, guys. God is on his throne. Jesus walks up to the Father, takes the scroll out of his hand. Worthy is the Lamb. Amen? Verse 8, let's keep reading. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp, and golden bowls of incense, golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Oh, what a beautiful, a beautiful picture is that. Verse 9, and they sang a new song. They sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll. Worthy is the, we sang that on Sunday, didn't we? Worthy is the lamb who was slain. Oh, I love that song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us. You have, who's saying this right now, church? Do you remember? Back it up. Let's rewind it. That's my rewind sound effect. <laughs> the elders are saying this, for you were slain and have redeemed us. So the elders in the throne room, spoiler if you didn't watch about chapter four, who these elders might be, these are people who are redeemed by God. You have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and every tongue and every people and nation. Amen. Verse 10. And you have made us. Again, there's us, elders speaking. You have made us, what? Kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. There are only three people in the Word of God, three people in the Word of God who are referred to as king, both kings and priests. Now remember, this is important to remember because uh, a king can never be a priest. What? Anybody know why a king can't be a priest? Let's get you talking tonight. Somebody out there, I know somebody watching this or listening knows why a king can't be a priest. There's too much blood on his hands, right? There's too much blood on his hands. The, the, the priest must be pure himself to go into the Holy of Holies and offer the sacrifice. He must make a sacrifice for himself, his own sins, before he even enters. So a king can never be a priest in the Levit Levitical order. So uh, throughout the entire Bible, three people our kings and priests. First, Melchizedek, we find in the Old Testament. Interesting character, right? Both a king and a priest. Secondly, Jesus, both a king and a priest. The third person, anybody know? Us. Us. So why is this important? This is so important, guys, because especially with the world going kind of haywire right now, as a believer, I'm telling you not to fret. Look, there will be persecution, okay? Look at the people in China, 
All right, that's why we fight for this nation. That's why we don't just sit back and say, well, God's in control and I'm just not going to participate in politics or I'm not going to speak out and be bold and speak against uh, deceit and fraud or whatever, right? We must, must have a voice. Christians must stand up and speak the truth boldly. Or, you know, as we have talked about, especially we talked about it on Sunday, uh, wicked ones will have their way, right? And granted, look, Jesus is on the throne here in America, but he's also on the throne in communist China, right? I don't want to live there. So that's a dramatic comparison, but you get the idea. I make it to paint the picture. You get the idea. So, ooh, why is this important? Guys, because the elders are there before the seals are opened. I know I'm getting a lot of questions right now. People are saying, is this, you know, where is this in Bible prophecy? Is this, people are scared because they're afraid of, they're afraid of uh, where the nation is going for a lot of reasons, right? And they're afraid uh, that hard times may come, of that end time hard times might come. But I've got to explain to you, there is a difference between persecution that we suffer now in the world and other nations and Christians and, and anti-Christ, uh, people in anti-Christian nations, the persecution that they suffer. There's a difference between being persecuted by Satan and man. There's a difference between that and tribulation. During tribulation is when God himself pours wrath out on the earth and judges the wicked in doing so. So, why is this important? Because the elders are there before the seal the seals are opened. And guess what? They celebrate. This the elders celebrate the opening of the seals, the seals that bring wrath upon the earth, the great tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble. The tribulation Hear me now, church. The tribulation can't start until the seals are broken. So if you're wondering if it started, guess what? They can't start. It can't start until the seals are broken. The seals can't be broken until the lamb has received the book, okay? And the lamb can't receive the scroll or book until the 24 elders have already cast their crowns on the glassy sea. We have to be there for it to start. We have to be there. Now, you know I'm a pre-trib rapture theologist if you've studied with us very long. I believe that the rapture of the church will happen before the tribulation period, not because I don't think that we're going to be persecuted, but because I don't think we're going to be punished by God, right? It'd be, my, my wife Amber loves to use the analogy that, you know, that would be like a groom beating the crap out of his bride right before the wedding. It makes no sense, right? So, but for me, guys, I, we look at uh, the, the, the scriptures and, and Corinthians and Thessalonians and all of these wonderful verses that point us towards uh, believing in a pre-tribulational pre, pre rapture. There's no, nothing more convincing than this passage right here for me. The elders have to be in heaven, and they have to have already been in the throne room and cast their crowns before God under the glassy sea before the seals of tribulation are broken open. So, uh, I hope you take comfort in that. I hope you take comfort in that. Let's keep reading. Verse 11. Verse 11. We're getting close. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, 
the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. Wow. Mm -mm -mm. Verse 12, saying with a loud voice. Can you feel this, church? Saying with a loud voice. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and more, even more than that, I'm quite sure. I wonder why they stopped there, huh? Let's take a look at these seven things, these seven things that Jesus has received that they're blessing him with, right? These are seven, seven possessions. So they're singing, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who is slain. He is worthy what? To receive these seven things. Let's take a look at it. I've got them penned out for you guys. Power. Jesus is worthy to receive power. He is not the one who can dream and never realize, plan but never achieve, he is able, church. He, he is worthy to receive riches. There is no claim on him which he cannot satisfy, no promise that he cannot carry out. He is worthy to receive wisdom, both secrets and practical. He is worthy to receive strength, which can disarm the powers of evil and overthrow Satan himself. Somebody say amen. Amen, verily, truth. He is worthy to be honored church, before whom every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord indeed. This is just so beautiful. Chuck Missler wrote this. He is worthy to receive glory, which is his alone. You don't get to be a part of that, guys. We're always trying to make uh, our own salvation. Some, we always try to get, we always want some of the glory, right? Our, our subconscious uh, man wants to be worthy somehow, worthy of our salvation. No, no, no. The glory is his alone. The glory is his alone. And lastly, blessing. He's worthy of blessing, church. The inevitable climax of it all. He pours this all out, church, on us, on you, and on me. Psalm 103, verse 132 reads as such. We sing this as well, don't we? Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Oh, what incredible benefits we receive to be called his, that he has purchased us, church, that he is worthy to break the seal. Why? For all those reasons, church, rewind it now. Why? Because, because as we talked about in Jeremiah, right, it's the custom of breaking the seals. It was his seal to break and the, the, uh, of the kinsman redeemer. He's kinsman to Adam, right? And us, the Gentile bride as well. And not just the Gentile bride, by the way, did he purchase, but the Messianic believer as well. Hmm. So many benefits. Let's finish out here. Verse 13. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Interest, there it is again. Under the earth as well. Hmm. And such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, 
Wow. <laughs> I mean, talk, think about this for a second. The, all of the creation, all the creatures of earth, people ask me all the time, do you think my pet's going to be in heaven? I do. I think he loves animals. I do. I do. Every creature which is in heaven and which is on the earth, under the earth, such are in the sea, and all that are in them, I heard saying this. Let's read it. Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. Verse 14 in closing. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And don't we say amen? Verily, truth, we agree. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. Amen. Amen, church. Well, I hope you've enjoyed our study tonight. We'll continue this study next week with uh, Revelation chapter 6, but I hope you're encouraged tonight, guys. These times that we're living in, I know there's uncertainty, but just meditate on this tonight, guys. Every day, every day, the Lord brings us a new opportunity to trust Him. Do you feel that in your spirit? Do you hear the Lord saying, do you trust me? I want you to do this when you look at the news or when you look at uh, social media or whatever it is that's bringing you anxiety or fear. I want you to, just in the quiet stillness of your spirit, I want you to see if you can hear the Lord asking you, do you trust me? Well, I do. I trust you, Lord. I trust you, Lord. With every eye closed and every head bowed, let's do this. If you're watching this at home with other people, let's just close our eyes. Let's have a moment uh, of intimacy with the Lord. If you're needing to surrender some things, if you're needing to ask the Lord for strength, if you're needing to ask Him for encouragement, whatever it is, I want you to ask Him right now in the name of Jesus. If you're watching this on the feed and you want to ask for prayer, Please ask so we can be praying for you guys. Life Story Church is a praying church, and we want to cultivate that, and we want to pray for you. We want to lift you up and bring your petitions before the throne room of God uh, with our hearts and in our spirits. So if that's you right now, just lift your heart to the Lord who loves you so much, so much, and let's pray. Jesus, Lord, receive my heart, receive my fear, receive my anxiety, God. I bring you all that I am, Father, the good, the bad, the ugly. I surrender my life to you, Lord Jesus, and I say, have your way. Lord Jesus, I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you with my life. I trust you with my eternity. I trust you with my present, and I trust you with our nation, Lord Jesus. Lord, we pray a prayer of repentance for our nation, Lord, and we pray a prayer of healing for our nation, Lord. And we ask that you would restore our nation, Father, the righteousness of our nation, Lord Jesus. Lord, we know that Satan rules here until you do come, but until you remove the restrainer from this world, the Lord of the air goes to and fro, seeking who he can devour, Lord Jesus. So give us discernment, Father that we wouldn't hear uh, false reports, Father, and become discouraged or, or uh, excited even by things that aren't true. And we know that Satan is the father of lies and he wants to cause chaos, God. So give us discernment to see through the enemy's attacks, God, in this day and age, Father. Give us wisdom, Lord Jesus, and encourage us, Father, and give us wisdom uh, uh, 
and words to speak to one another, Lord Jesus, to encourage others, Lord, as you have encouraged us and as we have been encouraged. Lord, receive, receive all we bring. We hold nothing back from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We love you guys. We'll see you Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Uh, the Rutledge uh, West uh, in Pegram, Tennessee. Uh, if you can't be with us live, then join us online. Uh, we love you guys. Have a great night. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he pour favor out on your lives. May you go in grace and prosper in all you do. And may you not fear. In Jesus' name, amen. We love you guys. Good night.